Welcome to the official podcast of the Hoffeld Group. Your host is the CEO and Chief Sales Trainer of the Hoffeld Group, David Hoffeld. Welcome to the Science of Selling podcast, the place where you get actionable sales insights that are backed by hard science. I am your host, David Huffeld, and I'm joined by Carl Polson. And Carl, I have an interesting question to ask you as we kick off today's podcast, and that right. is this. I want you to tell me about the best practical joke you've been involved in in the workplace? That's a great question. Really good question. Um, I would say, I would say there was one early on in my career when I first started where it was actually my coworkers did, did the practical joke on me. And when I was out on break, they turned off the lights in the office office and then put this like legitimate looking sign uh, on the door of our business saying permanently closed. Um, and so when I got back, I, they locked the door so I couldn't get in. Lights were off, couldn't get a hold of anyone. They were all like under their desks and they let this go on for like 30, 45 minutes. So they got to hear me trying to call them being like, what happened to this company? Like what is going on? Um, and then all of a sudden they, they turned the lights on and popped up from under their desks and uh, it was very well done on their end. I got to give them props. So that was probably the best one I've been involved with. What about yourself? Oh, I have uh, been involved in so many. People are often surprised to to learn. I love practical jokes, especially earlier in my career. I don't do them anymore, but I, boy, I used to. Um, There's a couple that come to mind. One I'll share um, is uh, when I was a salesperson way back in the day, um, uh, there was one of the salespeople his name was Tim, and Tim was a good salesperson, but Tim would always sneak in the office late. We were supposed to be there, I forget what time it was, eight or nine, and Tim would always sneak in about 20 minutes after he was supposed to already be in the office, and his office was right by uh, the door, the back door, so he, would, he was just real covert with it, and I was right next to him, so I would see him and, and uh, sometimes even hear him come in when he was really good at keeping it real quiet. So one day I thought about praying a, a, a practical joke on Tim. In fact, in hindsight, I think I prayed a, a bunch of them. Uh, but this one was kind of subtle, but it worked. So what I did was I went and sat in Tim's, Tim's chair and I lowered it all the way as far as it would go, which was about 10 inches. I mean, it dropped 10 inches. And my hope was I knew from experience when Tim came in, he was hyper-focused on if anyone was hearing him and he would have always be looking around and he would just slide into that chair. And so my hope was that when he tried to sit into this chair, he would, wouldn't realize that it would have been lowered by me. And so he would feel like he was falling for those 10 inches. And so I was like, let me see. I want to curious to see what happens. And so that day I do that. I get in um, and I, I lower his chair and I just kind of wait for Tim. I'm kind of hiding out, kind of watching. And, and as predicted, Tim comes in about 20 minutes late as normal. And he opens the door real quietly, he slithers in and he, and he, he gets ready to sit in this chair. And I'm just, I'm just standing there waiting to see what happens. And then all of a sudden I hear this, ah, and I go, Tim, you okay? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah. My, my chair was lower. And I'm like, Yes. Oh, I was so happy. Oh, it was um, it was just a subtle little joke 
Um, but boy, I'm right now. I'm thinking of tons of these, Carl. I better stop. But um, uh, yeah, that was so funny just to hear him yell, and it was such a subtle little thing. Who would ever think of that? But um, I did, and I love. Oh, I love playing those. Oh, I miss. I miss doing those jokes. I don't do them anymore, no. unfortunately. But oh, no, that was David, a fun one. <laughs> today we get to chat about the six whys, and specifically yes. today. Why change? Um, which really at Hoffeld Group, you know, the six whys are fundamental to to everything Hoffeld Group and and you do. Um, so I guess to get started, before we dive into why change and why you know it's why number one, why it's so important. Um, can you give a quick overview for our listeners of what the six whys are? Yeah, it's it's important point. So the six whys are those six questions that each begin with the word why that represent the mental steps our potential clients go through when forming a buying decision. So these are what you want to uh, uh, focus on during the sale. So every good sales process is focused on the six whys. And so that's what we're going to be doing actually over this podcast. And the next five is we're going to focus each time on one of those six and boy, today, Carl, we're really going to focus on really the foundational why, and that is why change. Yeah, and and why change is extremely important in the sale. It's it's why it's why number one for 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 good reason. So why is why change something that needs to be addressed right away in the sales process? Why is it why number one, David? Yeah, it, the reason that I I put it in the forefront of the whys and why it is such a foundation is until you create the business case for change or at least inspire the curiosity of pursuing change, you will always be viewed as irrelevant by your potential client. So until they see that they need to at least consider making a change, why would I want to talk to someone uh, about a change I really don't want to make? right? I, I wouldn't. And so this why is one that we want to address very early on in the sale. In fact, I don't ever like to put the six whys in order because you know it's, I, it's not that clean when you're dealing with people. Uh, they often can occur at different times in the sale and in different order. But normally, why change is the first or at least the one we're going to deal with very early in the sale because if we can create a good case for change, or at very least inspire some curiosity, it makes the rest of the whys easier to obtain. But if they don't see the need for change, it's almost impossible to get strong commitments to all five of the remaining whys. So look at that why change as your foundation that you're going to build upon the entire sale and your commitments to each of the whys. And that's why it really is so critical and many times when I work with clients, especially initially, and we go through the six whys, and I say, which of these are the most challenging for you to obtain? Uh, the number one response uh, by significant margin is, why change? And they say, that is the hardest one. So for many uh, businesses and many salespeople, not all, but many of them, this is the why that is the most daunting, uh, yet the most foundational for their sale. And in addition, addressing why change neutralizes our number one competitor. Can you explain what that means to our listeners? Yeah, it really does. And that's a really important point you bring up, Carl. And that is 
Oftentimes, when we think about competitors, we think about businesses that are like us, right? But that's not your biggest competitor. Your biggest competitor is nothing. In fact, if you think about it, you have lost more business to nothing than to someone. Because a lot of times when our potential clients don't move forward with us, they don't move forward with anyone. They just procrastinate. And they fall into what we uh, call the status quo bias. It's the term behavioral scientists and cognitive psychologists uh, give to doing nothing. And you just fall into the status quo. And this is a really potent bias. And this is your biggest competitor because the status quo bias is essentially the natural tendency we all have to remain in our current situation. And this is a powerful bias. So until we create a compelling case for change, we won't, right? Change is risky, right? Doing nothing, well, that's what they've already been doing. And life is fine. So why should they change? So think of the status quo bias as your biggest competitor. And that is why why change is so impactful. Because if you can address the strong case for change and your potential client says, you know, I need to do something. I'm not not sure what that is, but I need to do something. You're in a great position because you have right there already eliminated your number one competitor. And right there, just doing that is going to make a huge difference on your closing rates. Because remember, you lose more sales to nothing than to someone. And this also, you know, we want to also really rethink what is a competitor. It's not just a business like you. I define as a competitor as anything or anyone that can take business away from you. And the number one competitor you and I have is the status quo bias. And that is why you kind of um, kill two birds with one stone with why change. Not only do you create a strong foundation for the sale that sets you and your client up for success, but you also can neutralize your number one competitor by far when you adequately address why change. And David, I think you've done an amazing job giving our listeners an idea of why why change is so important. So let's dive into, can you, can you give our listeners some examples of how, how you'd address why change in the sales process? Yeah, the number one way by far is to create a compelling case for change. We really need to dive into the problem that our potential clients have that is causing them to need to make a change. And sometimes our clients might come to us uh, with a strong awareness of what this is. A lot of times they're not going to. In fact, that is a big differentiator today is if a salesperson is skilled enough to be able to identify problems, uh, that can give them a huge advantage. Like in the olden days, we always talked about salespeople as problem solvers, and that's still true. But what also matters just as much today is finding problems, because if you're able to find the problem, you've also then earned the right to solve it. Most of your potential clients, when you identify the problem, they're going to look to you to solve it. They're not going to be as likely to shop around for other solutions. So it also allows you to get in front of your competitors. Now, how do you do that? How do you identify and how do you really get an understanding of problems so you can bring it to uh, your potential client's awareness and really speak to it? Um, You want to do a number of things. First, you want to identify what is the problem, right, that you're looking for 
you should be know what are the normal problems my potential clients have when they would need my product. So we identify that. That's often though not enough. I want to expand on that problem. I'm going to use those beautiful second level questions and really get a deeper awareness of the problem. Uh, like I'll try to identify the scope of it, the consequence of an action. What if we do nothing? What would happen, right? To create that compelling case for change. What's causing the problem? And then finally, I want to focus on the pain that problem is creating, right? What are the outcomes this problem is producing for my client? So the stronger the pain is here, the more urgency there'll be to correct it. Now, Sometimes people, as I mentioned, your clients will understand their problem. And so you asking these questions focused on these areas will help them understand it more. But oftentimes they won't understand their problem. They might not even know they even have a problem. So you reach out to them when you're prospecting and they don't know. And you start asking questions and they don't even know enough to be able to answer the questions Um, So they're so oblivious to this issue because they're living in it, right? They don't see it. They don't have an accurate understanding of it. Um, And then it's even hard to them to answer basic questions. So what do you do then? Uh, What you want to do is you want to have some statements that you can share, some insights that'll kind of bring to their awareness the problem, this problem that others like them often have. So you want to bring some insights here and you can phrase it with things like, you know, One concern that a lot of organizations in your space have shared with us is that, or you could say, you know, a a lot of CFOs will also consider, right, and you'll kind of loop it in leveraging social proof, what a lot of other people like them or doing. Or you could say, you know, one thing that many other organizations like yours that we work with, um, uh, issue that they have is... Right. And so you can just you want to create those insights that you can phrase with the language that you use that will resonate with your client. But you want to bring to an awareness of this problem so that they'll often say, you know, make it safe too that a lot of others like them are dealing with this. Has that been an issue for you? Well, you know, now that you mention it. Um, yeah. And I haven't thought about that in a while, but that that actually does resonate because right then they're going to say things like that. So the idea is I need to find a problem because we're selling solutions as salespeople. And if there's not a problem they care about solving, they're not going to want to hear at all about your solutions. So when salespeople aren't good at really addressing why change, you're going to have clients go dark on you. You're going to have them not be responsive. You're going to have them be kind of lackadaisical when you talk about your company and your solution. They're like, well, I really don't care because... I don't see a big enough problem here that I need to invest time or money in the solution, right? So that why change, focusing on the problem, amplifying it, understanding it, helping them and you get an accurate assessment of it. And then if, if that's harder to do, questions aren't you know, yielding the result you want, then you need to have some insight that brings to their awareness the problem that others like them are having and see if it resonates with them. If it does or that'll usually open a door and you can pursue uh, that line of questioning. And one final thing that I'll share too, when you do all this well, it gives you the insight you need. Now, when you talk about your product or service or company, you can relate it to the exact issues that they care most about. So you can make your company and product or service relevant to them. So why change? Boy, when you do this well, when salespeople really master this, 
it is an absolute game changer and sets them up for a tremendous amount of success. I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. And as always, amazing content. I, I think that listeners have a ton of takeaways today. Um, shout out to Brandon Bell, who, who is one of our listeners who actually featured our episode on growth mindsets in one of his newsletters. It's the sales newsletter. So uh, really great to see that that uh, we continue to grow. And, and I, I love how our listeners are, are, are applying the sales skills that we're equipping them with. Um, David, until next time, where we will cover why number two, uh, stay safe. Uh, uh, and we will talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Carl. 